0: All right, well, this morning we're continuing on in a series through 1 Corinthians. Um, the series is called Growing Pains, and I am going to kind of just jump uh, right in. And um, I'm jumping into what I believe is the most challenging passage in the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Um, the passage we're in this morning is a challenge on so many levels, it's a challenge to interpret. Uh, it's a challenge to apply, and it's a challenge just because the subject matter that it addresses is a major trigger issue in our culture today. So um, so there you have it. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Um, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're kind of going to wade into it uh, by starting out with... Uh, With just verse two, Um, here's what it says. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Stop right there. Uh, You know, I I was tempted to kind of just breeze right through that verse, uh, you know, jump into the juicy part that's coming next. Um, But I said, can't do that. Don't want to do that because um, we are... I believe it's fourteen weeks into this uh, journey through First Corinthians, and if you've been around, uh, you probably noticed that First Corinthians has kind of been like a—it's been like a jackhammer to the heart, right? Can you relate to that? We've just been like hammered uh, with all kinds of heavy doses of hard truth, and that's good. Um, We've all been very receptive to that, and, and hard truth, I believe, uh, makes soft hearts. It helps maintain soft hearts to the Lord. Um, but there's also, you can get to the point where it almost seems like, you know, at least for the Corinthians, like everything they're doing was wrong. Right, they were doing it all wrong, and maybe you've been there. Sometimes you get to the point where it's like I cannot seem to get anything right, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do. I'm always doing it wrong, and when it's all correction, and there's never com- commendation, right? That that can get that can get tiresome. That can take a toll on your soul, and you can get to the place where it's just like I am just done. I just am ready to throw in the towel and and walk away. And so here we have in this passage this word of commendation that is so urgent and so important and so needed for all of us. It's, It's vital commendation to spiritual growth because here's the truth. We're all always going to be at the place where there's more to learn. There's always going to be more ways that we need to grow, and and of course, we're going to keep on going after that, pursuing it, chasing it down, but but as we do that, we can't lose sight of the forward steps that we've already taken, and that's the danger, uh, that we would lose sight of the steps we've taken and just not take the time to look back and say, man, Lord, this is what you said to do, and... And I've responded in faith and as best as I know how to, I've aligned my life around what you've said. I'm trying to live it out. Don't overlook that because your heavenly father hasn't. He sees it, he he celebrates that and he wants us to know how much he delights in every forward step we take. So so the voice of the Lord is not just the voice of conviction although it does involve co- conviction it's also the voice of commendation. Way to go. Good job. Well done. I hope you're hearing that. I hope you're receiving that kind of encouragement, that kind of commendation because we all we all need it. And 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 Paul like kind of like how it happened with Paul and the Corinthians, it oftentimes gets delivered to one person through another human vessel that God has placed in their lives. Right? Someone who just kind of sees someone doing something right and celebrating it, you know, throwing a party, applauding. Uh, so, so this is kind of an encouragement for us. Let's let's be quick to commend, Let's let's be eager. To encourage each other, okay, and we're going to take that, uh, we're going to take that commendation into the challenging portion of Scripture that we're going to look like look at next, and 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 it's written to clear up this um, this point of confusion that was um, kind of going on in the Corinthian Church. The confusion had to do with with the way God designed things, the distinct realities that he established and how he ordered reality and how that impacts our lives and how we live out our lives. And, and so I need to prepare you um, just in advance that what I am about to read has the potential to offend you, okay? And um, you may hear this passage and you're going to maybe just uh, get triggered and respond like I am checking out or I'm walking out even, right? It may sound like some kind of arcane attitude from a bygone age that obviously has no place in the world that we live in today, right? You may respond that way and if so, I just want to invite you, I want to ask you, um, Stay open, stay tuned in, hear me out, and uh, at the end, decide for yourself what you want to do with it, okay? Um, So I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to jump back in and work through it uh, a few verses at a time. So here it says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short, but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head." Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory?" For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. All right. So there uh, we go. Um, and uh, uh, thank you for staying seated. Um, I am going to do my best this morning to not set off any landmines. Um, There are a few of them to navigate around, and there's no promises. Actually, I probably will. Um, But we're going to jump in, and I just want to start with the first verse. Uh, Verse 3, it it announces this reality that there is this pattern that God has established. And he says, this is it. The the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. All right, so let me first... Note that Paul, when he writes that, he is not writing it as an argument to agree with. It's not like he is trying to convince us that this is true. It's it's more like a this is a reality to recognize. It's It's true whether you and I agree with it or not, right? So it's kind of like whether you agree with the idea that we have to Intake oxygen into our lungs every four seconds from the time you were born to the moment of death. You may not like that reality, but it doesn't change that. Just because you like it doesn't make it not true, right? And that's, that's kind of what we're talking about in this. Uh, but then the question is, what exactly are we talking about it? Because it's not so cut, you know, crystal clear. Uh, what is this reality that he's actually trying to get us to realize this is, this is where the challenge comes in, and I want to be as forthright as I possibly can be. This, this is a complicated passage. Um, the message here is it's not quite as clear-cut as we might like it to be, or as it maybe appears. And we're going to have to work through a few challenges here. And, and here's the thing, even after we work through those challenges... Uh, there are Christians, uh, scholarly Christians who love the Lord, who love the Bible, who come down with with different interpretations at the end of the day so 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 I thought what I'd do this morning is just kind of maybe try to invite you into my my study this past week and uh, and walk you through the process that I went through this past week as I wrestled through this, as I prepared uh, this message and, and how I've kind of navigated these things. Um, so if you're up for that, I'll, I'll open it up for you. So um, any passage that you come to in the Bible, first of all, that's, that's not clear-cut, and there's a lot of them that are not clear-cut. First thing is this. you got to be really careful to not fill in the ambiguities with your own assumptions. Okay, that's, that's a constant danger. But the goal is not to get the text to say what I would like it to say, right? Or what we already think it says. It's, it's to, as best as you can, understand that the, what the point the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was trying to make. That's, that's the point, all right? So the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Two challenges in that one sentence um, that we got to wrestle through. The first is what's translated as husband and wife, okay? Uh, the Greek words are andros and gunaikos, and they literally translate man and woman, male and female okay but here's the thing depending on the context they can also be translated and refer to a husband and a wife okay so so every bible translation wrestles through that they choose an interpretative decision about what they believe is the context for this particular text so if you have your bible and you look at verse 3, you will see a little asterisk there, a little footnote that's going to reference that very thing. It'll give you the alternate interpretation. So the question here is, which fits? Is it men and women or husbands and wives? So is this Is this passage addressing marriage relationships exclusively, or is it addressing something that goes beyond that, males and females, in a more universal way? Uh, Now, the answer, it could be one, it could be the other, and it's also possible that it could be a little bit of both. And and that's personally the way that I see it. I, I take it to include husbands and wives... But it also seems that the point that's trying to be made here, it goes beyond just marriage relationships. There's a principle here that applies universally to everyone. And I'll I'll get more into why I see it that way as we walk through the rest of the passage, okay? So uh, challenge number one. Challenge number two is making sense of what this word head means. All right, the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. Now, some people will say, well, it's obvious. We don't have to interpret that, we know what the head is, right? And you may think that right now, but let's, let's just think about that English word, head, right? Okay, so you've got, you've got the head of a department, right? That's different from the head of a nail, and that's different from the head of the class. And all those are different from the physical head on a person's body. It's not so easy. It's a little more complicated than it might seem. In Greek, there's, there's three primary uh, meanings, interpretations of this word, kathale, which is head. Uh, one is authority, as in the one who is in charge you report to. Uh, a second is the source, as in... This is where something originated from or came from. Like, like the source of a river, it starts at the spring. And, and third would be the one that we're all familiar with. It's just the, the body part on top of your neck, right? A person's body. So, so, so the question is, okay, which, which is it? Which one are we talking about? Uh, and this is where, okay, this is where you want to, um, I want to invite you to go ahead and acknowledge your preferred Interpretation, right? We all have one. Acknowledge it, so then you can kind of just leave it at the door, right? So, so here's the thing, okay? If if you lean on like a women's lib side, right? If you're like a feminist, you want this to mean anything but authority, right? It may mean something, but it ain't no way it mean an authority. No one's got authority over me. If you are a male chauvinist you probably want it to mean authority, right? Come on, preach it, brother. No. Um, All right, so that's okay. All right, We, we all have our biases, but here's the thing, when you're aware of them, then it helps you to not assume them and bring them into a passage because it may or may not belong, okay? So, all right, so here's how I wrestle through this. First, Thing I found is that if you keep reading in the very next verse, here's what we find out that the the actual issue that Paul wants to address, it actually does have to do with people's physical heads. Wow, it's amazing. Whether, whether, whether it's right for them to, to keep their heads covered or uncovered when they come together and gather for church. Okay, and uh, and so this this statement that it it seems so abstract, so ethereal. What he's doing is, I think Paul is framing the issue in a theological way. He's he's laying out a grid. He's saying, guys, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is the way he's designed us. And this is the framework through which we can think this issue through. Okay, that's what I think verse 3 is. And and by the way, I think that is a great way to process any of the decisions that we wrestle through ourselves the same way. Who God is, what he's done, how he set things up. Okay, so, so anyway, this grid that Paul is constructing, here's the question. Is it, is it about authority or is it about source? That's that's a question we have to look for the answer like a detective. And we do that by reading the rest of the passage and see if we can pick up any clues. So first thing is, okay, if we read the rest of the passage, do we find anywhere where it talks about men being an authority over women or husbands being the authority over their wives? You say, yeah, it's possible, maybe indirectly, but but not really. Not really. Now, now, that's not to say that there aren't other passages in the New Testament that do address that. But what you don't want to do is bring them into this conversation. That's its own conversation, right? Um, there is one place, though, in, in verse 10, it says, it says it talks about women having a symbol of authority on her head. Okay, so that's there. But here's the thing it's not all that clear whether that's because of men or if it's because of angels, which is kind of mysterious. We're going to get back to that, Um, but again, we're we're looking for clues throughout this passage, and and you come to verse nine. It says, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Did you catch that? that? That sounds to me like this is talking about the source of one coming from the other. This is where woman came from. And, and that led me throughout my time of preparation this week to conclude that, that when we read that word head, that it's used maybe, maybe tangentially to refer to authority, but primarily this is a reference to source, that one came from the other. Okay, so, so now having said that, I will tell you as well that there are many good and godly brothers and sisters who I love, who have wrestled through the same passage and reached a very different conclusion from me. And, and they have valid reasons, and I respect where they come out, and I love them even though they're wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, sometimes that's just the way it is. There is more than one way at the end of the day to work through a passage with integrity and still come out that way. But regardless of whether you line up with where I'm at or if you line up with somewhere else is that, I think there are a way, there's a way to pull it together, and I think we can all reach two conclusions about this, this reality. Uh, the first is this: both men and women, for both of us. Uh, there are contingent relational realities that factor into how we live out our lives that extend beyond ourselves. All right? If that doesn't make sense, let me put it in simpler terms. There's more to life than me. That's basically what this is getting at. And it's a universal reality that doesn't apply to just husbands and wives. It applies to everybody. Um, So in each example, it doesn't matter who you are, Someone else is at the head who's not you, not me, right? That's true for men, and it's true for women. And what's shocking is that it even applies to Christ, our Savior. This is, this is how core it is. It's, it's woven into the very fabric, into the Trinitarian nature of who God is. Wow, wow. And, and, and okay, so if you've been around for a while, if you've been walking through this 1 Corinthians series with us, you might be thinking, connecting some dots together. Hey, doesn't that go right along with what we've been learning over the past few weeks? The reality that we have this freedom in Christ, but it doesn't mean we're, we're free to do whatever we want, right? It means that we're free to live out our lives for the sake of those around us to glorify God and and to benefit and build others up. Yes, good job, class. You guys are doing great. That's exactly it. Um, But there is something new here. And what that is is that this applies to gender realities. Right? That's number two. God has ordered existence in such a way that things play out differently for men than they do for women. In other words, the paths are not all the same all the time. There's some places of divergency. The, The head of the man is different from the head of the woman and the head of Christ is different from both the man and the woman. So there's no implication here that one's better, the other's worse. The only implication is that they're different. There's a distinction, and that distinction, that difference, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's it's the intentional outworking of God's divine design. Okay, so that's verse three. Verse three is just calling us to recognize this reality recognize it and and we're going to go on the passage goes on and it calls Christ followers to not only recognize that but to reflect those realities in our lives don't worry we're going to move a little faster um it says it says in verse 4 every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered Dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. But for a man ought to not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Okay, so we got to unpack that next. And, you know, the first challenge we just kind of navigated through, that was the textual challenge. Uh, this one that we're at now, is a, this is a cultural challenge, right? We're, we're at this place where, where God's created realities collide with humanity's cultural norms. And the challenge is that because our culture is 2,000 years removed from the culture that this passage is written to, we read it and we kind of scratch our heads, Huh? How do we make sense of that? Well, it's not easy, but we're going to try. Let's jump in. Let's keep on working through this. Um, This this is saying that as an outworking, as a byproduct of of these divine gender distinctions, the one that Paul just clarified in the previous verse, every culture throughout the course of history has some kind of markers that distinguish between men and women. Theirs did, ours does, but they're different. See, back then, it was right and proper for a married woman to wear a head covering in public. In in that culture, it was a symbol of femininity, and it was also a way of identifying her as, as being married. And so you might think of it as sort of like the, the combination of a wedding ring and maybe a, a dress wrapped up together, and it symbolized something. It meant something to them. Okay, so, so what seemed to be happening then in this church in Corinth is that some of the women, they were tossing out the head coverings when they went to church. They were ministering, which wasn't the problem, and I'll kind of just highlight that. Verse 5, it says the, the women were praying and prophesying in church just like the guys were. That means they were preaching and teaching with Paul's full support, his full encouragement, except for this one detail that was missing. They didn't get right. They, they assumed that when they came to Christ, that that dissolved their gender identity doesn't matter anymore that I'm a woman, we're free. Cast off the head covering, or maybe uh, more recent times, burn the bras, right? We can minister, we can express ourselves any way we want. No one's going to tell us what to do. That's, that's the problem, that's what's going on there. And, and the correction that Paul offers here is express yourself, but express yourself in a way that reflects the gender that God has created you with, that he's assigned to you. Because God didn't redeem them to be some kind of generic, andronomous life form. He, he redeemed them as a woman, right? And, and so the call is to embrace that and to reflect it. And so in their culture, that meant cover your heads, And of course, that doesn't translate into every culture. And some people will interpret this passage and say it does, it must, it has to. Um, I don't think it does. Uh, But there are some traditions where you don't come to church as a woman without a head covering. Uh, Mennonite and Amish. Um, I don't believe that that cultural um, tradition applies but I do believe that uh, the principle applies to every culture. And so by God's, I think, divine design, I think, or maybe just coincidence, I don't want to read too much into it, but I'm here this morning, it's about 9.30, I'm setting up the text in the computer so you guys have the things on the screen, and Aaliyah is asking a question (laughs) to all the guys who are coming through the door. Hey, Adam, do you wear mascara? No. Uh, Bob, do you wear mascara? No. Uh, She was figuring out that guys don't wear mascara unless they're acting. That was the one qualification. Um, But, uh, you know, females wear mascara and guys don't. And that's kind of just this reality. Uh, And that's not something that has to be some kind of boundary wall that we have to break through, right? That's, That's an appropriate boundary that reflects the reality that God has created us through. And so the principle, as I understand it, is just this. For God's redeemed community, this place that that we call church, this is a place that celebrates biblically feminine women, all right, and biblically masculine men. So for the Christ follower, the call is to reflect that distinctiveness of the gender God has given you, created you to be in appropriate ways because it reflects reality and because it brings glory to the one who created us, male and female. Now, I don't have to tell you that our culture today, when it comes to gender distinctions, uh, it doesn't have a clue right to say we're confused doesn't even come close to where we're at chaos is more is more accurate i think in, in today's culture what's being pushed is that you can be whatever you want to be and so you know the list just keeps on growing lgbtq but that's not enough you got the plus Right, You have to have some kind of catch-all for whatever gets constructed next week because it's coming, and it's a flight from reality. I know that's not a popular thing to say, but it's hard to argue with reality. And as a result, people today have no clue, no idea who they are. They're running around grabbing something to hold on to, And we know how it's set up. You know, gender, we're told, is not a binary thing. Not in our culture today. But you know what is binary? The options you have for how to respond to that reality. You've got two options. Either A, you can affirm, or B, you can be called a hater. That's the two options. And my response is, sorry, but I'm not going to play that game. Because I think there is an option C. And if you want to have a conversation, let's, let's sit down and talk about that. It would be a great conversation to have. But oftentimes, there's not a lot of interest in conversation. There's just a desire to hammer and slam. That's, that's where we're at as a world today. And here's the thing. The culture is the culture. The challenge for us is for the church to be the church, to not follow our culture down the drain of chaos, but to stand firm. The church needs to stand firmly grounded in reality. And that's not all. We need just as much to respond in love and not anger. That may be the bigger challenge. So let me just say this, please do not feel the need that you have some kind of obligation to smack everybody down and argue everybody out and tell everybody off who doesn't share the same frame of reference about reality as you do. They are not your enemies. Disagree when that needs to happen and respond in love. That's our call It's Christ polished because here... Here's my conviction. If, if this thing we're talking about, if God's design is for real, and I am absolutely convinced it is, then play it out. There is a day that is coming. It's going to arrive for many, many people when whatever identity they've constructed for themselves that they fought so hard to get affirmed for, it's just going to run its course. And they're going to find themselves empty, and hollow, and vacant, and looking for something else. And, and when and if that happens, I hope and I pray that the very next step they take is going to be a step towards a Christ follower. Not the one who fought with them, but the one who loved on them. I hope the next step they take will be into a church like this, a place where, where the truth is being spoken, where the gospel's being shared, where the love of God Jesus is being known, and grace is being poured out. See, that kind of church is going to welcome whosoever. It doesn't matter. With open arms, and, and a church like that is going to invite them in, and maybe get the opportunity to invite them, to introduce them to, to a God who loves them, to a Savior who died for them. And, and just maybe they'll even get a glimpse of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, just a tiny glimpse of of masculine men and and feminine women loving Jesus and and cooperating with each other and not fighting and competing with each other. Call it a dream, but that's my hope, that's my prayer. So so realize God's design, reflect God's design, and the last thing is to rejoice in God's design. Because here's the thing, God's design is not only right, It's good. It's good. We need to catch a vision for that. It's not only good, it's wonderful. It is outright astonishing. And so that's how Paul ends. He is taking us back here in this passage to the beginning, and he retells the story of, here's how it happened. Here's here's how God went about creating the crown jewel of creation. And so he says... uh, he says that um, we have it here for a man was not made from woman, but a woman from man. Uh, let me just try to. Yes. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority in her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman for as woman was made from man. So man is now born of woman and all things are from God. So, really what he's doing here, he's taking us back to the beginning. He's going back to Genesis. If you know the story, Adam, God made Adam from the dust. And there Adam was, and he was alone. And, and God recognized that that wasn't good. He needed a companion. He needed some help. Sorry, guys, you did not get the vote of confidence from God to do life on your own. That's just how it went down. We're not meant to make it on our own. And so, and so God put Adam in this deep sleep and He took out a rib out of Adam's side and from that rib, he formed a woman, Eve, to walk alongside him. See, that's the beautiful part. God intentionally designed him to be incomplete without her. And so Eve comes on the scene and Adam's world is immediately a better place. So so Adam came first but Paul makes the point, don't miss it, as women was made from man, yeah, now it's changed. Now, man is born of woman. It's amazing, right? God set this whole thing up in such an independent way. I'm sorry, in interdependent way. We need each other. And just looking at it from an artistic point of view and seeing the beauty of God's creation is amazing. There's nothing else in all of creation that even comes close to the magnificence of a man and a woman. And you know, one of the ways we glorify God is by celebrating the wonder of his workmanship. Psalms talks about the wonder of God's works and the ultimate example, the crown jewel of God's workmanship. You know what it is? It's, it's the creatures he created in his own image. Uh, verse 10, it kind of gives a hint here that, that the angels understand this. They get this. They're, they're actually watching us maybe as we worship and they're marveling at the wonder of God's design. There is something about a man and a woman that reflect the likeness of God in a way that they never will. And it astounds them. Genesis one twenty six says, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock and every creeping thing on the earth. And don't miss this next part. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's God's design. Gender was at the very heart, from the very start, from the very beginning. He intended it to be male and female, each one full image bearers of God, but both together reflecting the likeness and the glory of God in an unparalleled and glorious and magnificent way. And so the gender that God has given to you, it's a means for you to give glory to him. So let's not dilute those distinctions. Let's delight in them. And as we do so, we'll delight in him.